1: What's up Chiefs Kingdom? Welcome to another episode of Sometimes Weekly Sports and Stuff presented by our friends up in Western Missouri and Holiday Distillery. We appreciate their support for everything we got going on at KC Sports Network and we have got a special guest in this episode today for anybody watching on YouTube. You can already see him in former Chiefs standout center Tim Grunhard, who has a new book out, View from the Center, uh, My Football Life and Rebirth of Chiefs Kingdom. I'm excited to talk about this with you and uh, share just maybe one of the stories from the book to make sure everybody <laughs> goes out and gets that, get some of those behind the scenes stories that people can't find anywhere else. But uh, sir, I appreciate your time and joining us this week.
2: BJ, it's always great to be on with you and uh, this is a great podcast. Uh, I know you guys have got a bunch of them going on and uh, congratulations. I know you're starting a new business and uh, really uh, blessed to be on with you guys to talk a little bit about the book and. And I know some of the people that are watching the podcast may not have been around during the nineties, or maybe there are some people (laughs) that remember the nineties, but there was a good time kind of the foundation of the Kansas city chiefs kingdom was built during the 1990s. We talk a little bit about that in the book.
1: Yeah. I, Arrowhead stadium is what it is because of that era of football. And I I'm always going to be partial to it because I grew up going to the games with my dad. I've not been shy about talking about that and where my passion for it comes from sitting in section three thirty-eight, row, 10 uh, seats, 11 and 12. I knew where we sat every week. We had the same uh, kind of deal. I think it's a special thing about chief's kingdom is it's generational fandom. You know, it's passed along from, uh, Husbands, wives, you know, fathers, you know, mothers, down to their kids, and then down to their kids and grandkids. It's what makes it special.
2: Yeah, and it gets awfully windy and cold up there, buddy. So I'm sure <laughs> you, uh, the the hawk, the north wind probably hits you a couple times up there. But yeah, you know, there's some great people that uh, go out to all the games, and I just we talked about it a little bit in the book that uh, here in Kansas City, people decide between buying season tickets or going on vacation, buying yeah. season tickets or getting a new pair of shoes for their kids or whatever. Uh, You know, and that's really special to us. And one of the things that Marty and Carl tried to do in the 90s, which I thought was a great idea, and I was glad to be a part of it, is, you know, build a relationship between the fans and the players, which I think is very unique here in Kansas City. You know, people often compare Arrowhead to a college-like atmosphere. And people say, well, because everybody dresses in red and it's real loud, but I think it goes deeper (laughs) than that. No. When you walk around a college campus, you see the quarterback or you see the running back. You may have class with him. You may see him in the lunchroom. You may see him in the cafeteria at the student union. And one of the things we try to do in the 90s is have radio shows and go out into the hmm. community and build relationships. So people thought, I mean, well, they did. They got to know us as people, not just football players. So they were invested, you know, kind of like college kids are invested in their teammate or their classmates. Uh, For us, it was they were invested in their fellow Kansas Cityans who just happened to play football.
1: Yeah, we were just talking before we were recording about the big high school game that I had between Bishop Miege and Blue Valley. And I remember as a kid, you know, even before I got to high school and I was, you know, we were talking about my dad being the PA announcer. I remember walking around and there was always a Chiefs football player that would come out. And sometimes it was part of the high school game of the week or whatever was going on. I saw Eric Hicks out there all the time and just remember being like, holy cow, that guy is the largest human being I've ever seen in my life. Um, but yeah, I think, um, you know, I I'm stealing this and I can't remember, I'm trying to remember who said it originally. I heard it on, I think it was probably on 810 radio going into a game a few years ago, but somebody made the point that, you know, chiefs fans don't go to arrowhead to watch a football game. They go to participate in the football game. And, uh, we, we're emotionally invested into the games in ways that uh, I don't believe that other fan bases um, have not to call them out specifically. I did live in San Diego for a number of years, so I can speak specifically to that Uh, transplant city, but it's definitely something special here. And uh, again, I'm excited to to get into this book a little bit uh, and and get a chance to sit down and read through all and read some of these stories that um, you know, the last time I think you and I spoke was actually we did that pregame show before the Super Bowl um, outside the stadium. Yeah. Uh, And that was a pretty special time and know how well Chiefs fans traveled down there for that game and how special all of that was. But, you know, when you decided uh, to write this book, what was kind of the motivation behind and the spirit behind doing it in the first place?
2: Yeah. So, um, you know, it was kind of weird because COVID kind of hit and we were all kind of locked down and uh, I turned to my wife. I said, you know, we got so many great stories that I've talked about over the radio over the last 20 years and uh, so many great teammates and and so many great experiences uh, playing for the Kansas City Chiefs for 11 years. I would love to write it down. Uh, so she said, well, you know what, just do it and we'll see if we can figure it out. So uh, during the COVID time, I started writing down some different things and kind of jotting stuff down. And then I uh, hooked up with David Smale, who uh, is a local author, who does a really good job of of writing books and being a part of developing books and and i said hey david will you help me kind of put this thing together so what we did is we put together an outline and then i kind of filled in the outline with stories and then he would take the stories and edit it and then ask some questions that kind of pertain to those stories and boy it 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 was a great process it took about six or seven months to do uh but uh when we were done with it uh, we were very happy with the product uh, yeah. So, I mean, it, it goes through a little bit of my youth and kind of how I was raised. I was raised by a Chicago policeman, south side of Chicago, uh, tough guy. My brother played professional baseball and I was lucky enough to play professional football, but I was four years younger than him, always trying to <laughs> live up to that. And then I was always kind of that second fiddle guy in high school. There was guys who were better than I was. There was guys in college who mm-hmm. were better. And even when I got drafted by, uh, you know, going through the draft process, I wasn't quite sure where I was going to go. So, you know, talked a little bit about the insecurities. And, and that's kind of what made me was, uh, you know, trying to prove to people and having some of these insecurities that I had that I was always afraid to even miss a practice or even miss a rep. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the reasons why I played 120 games in a row. Now, I feel it now. Mm-hmm. Believe me. Every morning <laughs> I wake up and I'm like, oh, my gosh, what I get hit by a truck. But uh, that's what drove me. And so we talked a little bit about that. And then, you know, just the characters that were on the field at Arrowhead during the 90s, the guys that bled sweat and, and, and cried and, and, and just participated uh, in the games in the 90s from Joe Montana to Dan mm-hmm. Selyamua to, to Derek Thomas and Neil Smith and John Alt and Dave Zott and Rich and Just a lot of names that people always equate with being a part of the kingdom and the Kansas City Chiefs kingdom. Even if they weren't originally part of the kingdom, <laughs> they're still part of the lure of it. Like Joe Montana, you know, yeah. I know everybody thinks of him as a 49er, but I promise you, if you talk to Joe, his favorite times of playing, you know, obviously he won some Super Bowls, but other than that was a play here in Kansas City. I mm-hmm. talked about some stories. how uh, Joe talked about how much he loved being here. So it was a lot of fun to write. But it was a process and it really brought up a lot of memories, some good and some bad, you know, missing Derek Thomas, a good friend of mine who passed away. And, uh, you know, the the camaraderie and the fraternity of the locker room is what you miss. I mean, obviously, you miss the paychecks, but you also miss the guys. And, BJ, you've been around it and you know, mm-hmm. I mean, that's a special relationship, a special bond that happens between guys. You know, and every year it's a little bit different, but that, that fraternity and that locker room is so integral to having a great uh, football program.
1: Yeah, we have guys on our network and guys that I've talked to that, that you hit the nail on the head on what I've heard. And you know a lot better uh, than I would. But the biggest thing that people miss is having people that are counting on them for things and that that accountability that you have in the locker room of of not just, you know, going out there and performing well but showing up at practice and doing the right things and having people you can kind of lean on um, that only you guys that step between the lines and the coaches really understand what that life is like. And I think yeah, for man, me, it, 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 it it was eye-opening for me. I'll say this and I've said this, you know, I don't know how many times publicly I've said it as somebody that, you know, started blogging on the side and worked my way into going and then being there and being in the locker room. I didn't have, I didn't go up traditional media. I wasn't interviewing players all the time. When I got to the chiefs, the first thing that stood out to me is damn, these guys put a lot into this. And I don't care if you're a practice squad player, who's not out on the field, you were dedicating your entire life to this in a way that uh, guys are just wired different. The step between those white lines and I'll always respect anyone. Uh, who has the, the fortitude to step out there and play this game at that level. It's different. Yeah, a couple of
2: stories. So, um, you know, one of the things that you miss, you know, when you retire or when you're asked, to no longer participate, whatever happens first, uh, that, you know, you miss that that goal that everybody has. It's really hard to win an NFL football game. So mm-hmm. on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, your whole goal is to go win a football game. And there's a lot of smart people and a lot of dedicated people on the other side they are doing the same thing. So it's always a very difficult process. Remember, you play a baseball game, you play a bunch of them. Football, you only play yeah. one a week. So, I mean, yeah. everybody is focused on that, and it's so important. But number two, like you said, uh, people don't realize how big, fast, and strong those people are on the field. (laughs) Um, You know, I uh, was down there during my Hall of Fame uh, uh, induction, and I brought my daughters and my my sons down there. And my sons played, you know, high school football, and then my son, Colin, played in college. So they kind of understood a little bit what it's like and how fast my daughter said, Oh my God, dad, these guys are <laughs> big and so fast. Did you really play against these guys? I said, yeah, I mean, it, it is amazing. So it is a special breed. And, you know, the, the, the thing about playing football and having these goals each week, it's an adrenaline rush and it's a, yeah. it's, it's something that you need. And that's why I think a lot of players, when they're done, they have a hard time adjusting because they lose that adrenaline rush and they search mm-hmm. for it in different other ways you know and and that's what you have to be concerned with once you step away you miss the camaraderie you miss the fraternity you also miss that adrenaline you miss that 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 high that you get from being running out on the field at Arrowhead Stadium in front of 78,000 crazy fans or going into Oakland it's now Vegas and having yeah. 80,000 people booing you and hating you <laughs> and at you so yeah. it is a it's a great uh, it's a great process but it's something you have to adjust to once it's over
1: yeah i think uh going back to just how big and fast the guys are. I, I, I will never, I'll remember it like it was yesterday. Uh Their chiefs were playing the Titans. I think it was the playoff game. Uh It was one of the games against the Titans. Cause it was Derek Henry uh, was running towards us and Tyron Matthew, who's not a big dude, even in pads, he's not the biggest dude Uh just ran up, tackled him right on the side, like an angle tackle right in front of me, like just speared him, went straight to the ground, and they both stood up. And I looked at the size of Derrick Henry, and I looked at Tyron Matthew, and they both like, hey, good good stuff, man. And then they were like, <laughs> not in those words. And then uh, based on what we saw with Chris Jones, a flag sh- probably should have been thrown uh, with the verbal <laughs> language. Um, but they get up and they run back, and I never looked at Tyron Matthew or anyone on the field the same way again. And I had seen it before, but they're so big, so fast, and with zero fear running into each other the way that they do. It just guys are built different. And, and to that point, I I've got to share this story. I, whenever I talk with former guys, I know Kendall's heard me say this a, a handful of times, uh, but it was one of the days uh, that when I was working at the chiefs. It was a chiefs alumni day at training camp. And I want to get your, I'll, I'll get to the point here in a second. I'll bring it back around. But we were talking, I was talking to one of the alumni guys about, you know, Andy Reed as a coach and how, you know, demanding he is at training camp and all of those things. And I made the mistake of asking a former guy about how difficult Andy Reid's training camps must be if he watches at me. And he looked at me like he was about to unload. And luckily I'm sitting there just like wide-eyed, just zero clue uh, about anything with my microphone. And he he answered it nicely and we got off. He's like, you understand we did two-a-days with like Oklahoma drills for hours and hours and hours. This is not even close to the same thing as far as we went through. Not that it's not difficult, not that there's – They don't waste a lot of time. They go from one drill to an X. They're very efficient. And so from a organizational leadership standpoint, if you watch how organized 200 people out on the field are at training camp, you can appreciate how much time and organization and leadership goes into the way that he runs his camps. But as far as just physically being (laughs) tough on the guys, uh, I never asked another former player about anything being difficult in today's NFL. So the question to you um, getting away from the book just a little bit here, uh, but just when you look at the game today and the way that it's structured, um, Just what stands out to you the most and what do you take the most pride in and what's the most different, I guess, in the way that uh, guys are kind of um, handling, you know, being a professional football player nowadays compared to when you were playing?
2: Well, I think as far as pride, I think in the 90s was when there was kind of a renaissance for the NFL, uh, where the NFL became mainstream and, you know, it used to be yeah. the MLB and then the NFL. And. Really, from the 90s into the 2000s, that's kind of changed. So if we get, feel some ownership in that. We had some really quality football games with quality people and uh, really sold our brand in the NFL, especially here in Kansas City. So yeah. proud of that. Uh, but I think the way the game has changed, and it's for a, a, a good reason, and now we have the Tua situation, which, you know, that needs to be addressed. That That uh, yeah. is a good thing because you look at some of the things that happened last week Compared to this week, you know, I don't know if they're tied together, but there certainly is a co- it's not a coincidence that that kind of stuff happens. But uh, getting to as far as training camp, the one thing I love about Andy reed as a head coach is I call it the mental physical uh, aspect of his coaching. Uh, we used to have the physical, 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 <laughs> and then you'd be tested a little bit mentally, but then you'd go back to physical. All right, so mm-hmm. I mean, you're right. We had two days in full pads uh, for you know four or five weeks. And, you know, we never were in shorts and shoulder pads. We were always in full pads and it was a grind and it was tough and it was a long process. Uh, But, you know, the NFL has made a good decision not to beat the players up like that. And one of the reasons why we didn't win playoff games, maybe is because we were so tired at the end of the year with Marty shot Mm his practices, but getting to Andy Reid, the mental physical, if you look at the way he sets up his training camp, he has two pretty physical days and Mm -hmm. then he shuts it down physically and he tests you mentally. And the guys that could pass that test when they're tired and worn out and maybe don't want to be out there and think, hey, this is a break. We're going to take a break here because we're not in full pads. So we're going to take a break here because we're walking through. That's when he tests these guys mentally. And that's why I think this team is able to make adjustments during the game or make adjustments, uh, uh, you know, week to week is because they're being tested all the time. During training camp and practices, situational football is one of the things that uh, Andy Reid does such a great job of. Mm-hmm. And that's why the Chiefs are really good in those situations. Now, throw away the C- Colts game because it just was one of those games where it just it went from bad to worse. But yeah. I expect this team to bounce back against Tampa because that's kind of the M.O. of, 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 of Andy Reid. You, yeah. you may have a down moment or a down time or a down player or down quarter or down half. But he always finds a way to rally him back, and I expect that to happen again.
3: Hey, sorry to interrupt, but the NFL action is in full swing here at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. That's right, we're talking touchdowns, we're talking big plays, and even bigger payout wins. New customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win and get $200 in free bets if they do. Listen, if that's not enough, DraftKings got you covered. Everyone can boost their winnings with DraftKings' stepped-up same-game parlays. Right now, for every leg that you add... you can boost your winnings up to 100%. That's right. I paused a little bit because I had to make sure that was true. Right now, for every leg that you add, you can boost your winnings up to 100%. With bigger payouts than ever, why would you bet on football anywhere else? To make things even sweeter, you can throw down on stepped-up same-game parlays once per game day all season long. That's right. That's right all season long here's what you got to do you got to go to DraftKings Sportsbook and download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now use promo code KCSN to get $200 in free bets if your team wins when you place a $5 bet on any football game that's code KCSN only at DraftKings Sportsbook an official sports betting partner of the NFL minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply you can see the show notes for more details now let's get back to the show
1: I'm a generally optimistic person anyway, and when I was at the Chiefs, people thought I'd just say positive things because I worked for them, but it was honestly how I felt, and I've said the same thing now. It's, you know, the sky's not falling. I said it last year when they started two and three. It's like, give them a little bit of grace. They've earned the right to to start a little slow because we've seen Andy Reid teams. They always seem to have an answer. They always figure it out. It may take, there may be a two-game losing streak. It may be a three-game losing streak, but we've never seen consistent time under Andy Reid where they have not won football games they have not had answers to whatever problems they're facing even if they struggle on certain areas of the field on the offensive side the offensive line is struggling there are ways in which they can call plays and they can schemat- scheme things to kind of you know not make it as important as a big a deal, um, I should say. So there's always an answer to it. That's why I always remain positive with this. But, you know, one of the things when you're just comparing like eras of football that a lot of, you know, the foreign players talk about is just how much more media attention there is and that nowadays with everybody having a cell phone, everybody's a, you know, a TMZ photographer out there, the players are going around the city and doing different things, which is good and bad. They get more contracts, they get more money, but then they don't get as much, you know, privacy uh, as guys did back in your when you were playing and not everybody had a cell phone. And to that point, there aren't a lot of things that can happen nowadays and cool stories that don't get covered by some entity because there's so many people, even what we're doing at KCSN covering it. There's not a lot of things that you don't know. So that's why it's so cool and special when guys like yourselves write these books and tell these stories that have never been heard before because there wasn't as many things being covered and wasn't as much just media attention with everything compared, you know, to what's going on now. So question is, You know, what's one thing, not to give away all the cool stories in the book, but what's one story, maybe it's from the feedback that you've gotten already from people who've read it, what's one story that you've got in there that you can share, at least tease a little bit, um, that gives people an idea of the kind of things they can read from your book that, you know, they've never heard before, which is for nostalgic Chiefs fans, that generational fandom that we talked about, it's the kind of stuff that they'd eat up.
2: BJ, first of all, I want to thank uh, uh, the gods that there was no cell phones and cameras (laughs) and video things while we were playing because we would have all been kicked out of the league at the 11th. The I,
1: I wasn't going to bring it up not about you specifically, but I've heard that it from was, a lot of guys, a,
2: bad deal, BJ. a lot of guys saying, you know what, you'd feel
1: differently about some players. If, uh, if everybody that's had a cell a, phone back then,
2: that's exactly right. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, there's all kinds of great stories in, in the book about players and games. Uh, uh, you know, I, I, uh, Often have talked about my experience with Dave Zott and I living together on a ranch in Lee Summit, <laughs> and with our horse Copper. That uh, you have to get the book to read those because there were some interesting stories. I've said it on the radio many times, but my probably my favorite story that I'll share with you guys about Joe Montana, obviously the biggest mm-hmm. name that's in the book, is you know that Joe loved uh, being in Kansas City, and I'll, in, in the in the book it talks about the first night I went out with Joe Montana, uh, but I'll let you read that. But this situation. He's sitting home on a Saturday and, uh, you know, but watching some college football. it has got a game the next day and the doorbell rings. And he's yelling for Jennifer to get the door and she wasn't around. Maybe she was doing something. And he's yelling for the kids to get the door. And nobody's answering the phone. The, the, the doorbell keeps ringing. So he gets up and he looks out and there's about 25 kids out there, you know, all gathered around the door. And he's like, you know, gosh, he said, you know, I just – man, I I just not feeling it to sign autographs to do that stuff right now. Uh, I don't really don't have anything to give these kids. But he opened the door and he says, I can help you. He goes, yes, Mr. Montana, uh, is it all right if your kids come out and play? And to him, it was the coolest thing. They didn't give a rat's ass who Joe Montana was. They wanted the Montana kids to come out and play. And he's like, yeah, hold on, let me get them. And he went downstairs and got the kids and went out. And then, you know what? He went out and played catch with the kids and had fun with the kids. And they uh-huh. weren't asking for autographs. They weren't trying yeah. to take pictures. They weren't trying to do all those kind of things. They just wanted to play with the kids. And Joe said often, many times, he said, one of the things I loved about living in Kansas City is he said, you know what? Yeah, you were the, you know, the show. You were yeah. the top of, of the entertainment uh, value in Kansas City. But people were generally kind of let you be who you are. They don't They didn't bother him at dinner. They didn't really come to his house and bother him a little bit and do those kind of things. And you know, BJ, you've heard the stories about him in training camp. Kids were hiding under cars, laying under cars mm-hmm. up in Minneapolis and <laughs> River Falls and just swamping him. We were in Tokyo. It was like being with the Beatles. I mean, they were banging, <laughs> banging on the bus to try to get to Joe Montana. So he yeah. loved being in Kansas City, and he said many, many times. He said, "Number one, I wish I would have stayed and played a couple more years." He, he said, "I probably could have, uh, but I decided not to, and that was one of the biggest mistakes he made." Number two, he said, "You know, if Jennifer didn't have the family and people in California, he would have stayed here in Kansas City." That's how much he loved oh, it. Wow. So we talk a lot about that in the book. And Joe Montana, Joe Montana was a big fan of Kansas City.
1: That that echoes what I would heard over the years, and not that, and I never, I've never talked to Joe. Um, but talking with Mike Davidson uh, and Alan Wright, sharing just little bits and pieces of stories about him that, that everything adds up uh, about what you're saying, just from the the few well, stories that I'd heard about them.
2: Real quick, uh, Alan Wright was involved with the first night out. So that's in the book. You can the book to read that story. The first night out with Joe Montana and Alan Wright.
1: I know they—they, I know they stay in touch. I talked to Alan in a while, but uh, I remember him telling stories about that. And I remember, you know, I think I don't know if it was directly talking. I think he was talking to Patrick. And one of the the pieces of advice that Joe had given Patrick Mahomes, uh, probably after his 2018 season, I think it was at a Pro Bowl or somewhere where they had crossed pass uh was the the learning the art of saying no kind of like what you're talking about yeah. with the kids in the neighborhood of uh, you're going to get pulled in so many directions probably worse now than back then with marketing and social media and everything that you can get pulled in so many directions of of having good people around you and and being able to say no without it coming across like you know you're being a jerk or something yeah. like that because you get asked to do so many things and you know there's so many you know stories of people that are hurting or people that are sick or, you know, kids who want a little pick me up and they want to hear from Patrick Mahomes that he can't be like that for everyone. And so that's uh, one of the things that always stood out to me about, you know, Joe, even through Alan reaching out and giving advice to Patrick Mahomes years after, uh, you know, he left Kansas city or, you know, hadn't been here all that long. And one other quick story. I was, when I was living with my wife in San Diego, we were working uh, at the, um, the, the, fashion Valley mall in San Diego. And I was working at a little sports store that sold a bunch of jerseys and up in the rafters, there was a number 19 chiefs Jersey, uh, Mitchell and Ness. It's like a $500 Jersey, a Joe Montana. <laughs> uh, and I'd asked the owner, I was like, can I get that? And I was like, I don't know how many people in California are going to want to buy a chiefs joe montana jersey he's like yeah i'll give it to you for like twelve dollars nobody wants that thing i was like are you kidding me i could sell this thing for like a thousand dollars in Kansas city right now uh but being in california nobody cared so i'm not a big jersey i've never i've wore it to one game uh and it was uh the brody Croyle start back in like 2009 at qualcomm which wasn't pretty i think the chiefs had like 70 yards of total offense the only time i wore that jersey Uh, but the only chief jersey i own is a joe montana Chiefs jersey
2: so, so it's not so you wore number 12 for Brody, but yet, uh, yeah, or it actually, Brody was 12, right? Was Brody yeah, 12? bro, I,
1: he started that game in San Diego because yeah. I knew that I had I had uh, uh, partied enough in the parking lot that I had convinced everybody <laughs> we were with that nobody's seen what Brody Croyle can do. So who knows? <laughs> He's gonna come out though for like 400 yards, and like, who knows what we're gonna do? We don't know what we got here. Uh, and then we had like 70 yards of offense and <laughs> lost like 20 to eight to nothing or something. I'll
2: tell you what, we used to have a lot of fun in that pretty. parking lot of San Diego after games, The Sallyamua family would uh, have this huge, <laughs> LA. and, and, uh, you want to talk about some great Polynesian people and Polynesian food and all kinds of stuff. Boy, we had a great time. That was one of the games in 11 years after that game, you walked out in the parking lot you knew you were going to get some great food, maybe a couple of drinks. And we used to love, <laughs> love playing in San Diego.
1: I talked to the owner of Kansas City Barbecue down there uh, yeah. when I was living there, and we got to talking, and he was talking about that's where the watch party was for Sally Moo's family. Yeah. They always go to Kansas City Barbecue and hang out, and uh, shared some stories about how rowdy and how fun things would get down there. Um, so pretty special. But Tim, about the book, uh, just a couple more questions for you. Appreciate it again, everybody who's out there for, who's listening to the podcast. We're with Tim Grunhard, former Chiefs great, um, and was front and center. Uh, pun intended for, uh, you know, the the developmental years of what Chiefs Kingdom is today and what Arrowhead Stadium and the mystique that it has, uh, both on the offensive and obviously a lot on the defensive side, how loud they get on third down with Derek Thomas and all those guys. But, mm-hmm. um, Tim, as people, you know, go in and find your book and read it, what's, you know, one of the big takeaways that you want people to have when they finish the book? Um, As far as there's a lot of cool stories, a lot of things that uh, people can remember. But if there's an overarching message that people could take away, what would you want that to be?
2: I think about the love affair between the Kansas City Chiefs and and the Kansas City Chiefs fans uh, that we tried to establish in the 90s. I think that would be the number one thing. And, And, you know, I still see people that I used to see at the levee They still come to my events. They still come to my signings. They still are around. And gosh, that was 30 years ago. Uh, Really special. Uh, Also, uh, probably just, uh, especially when we talk about the guys, you know, Derek Thomas uh, was such a special guy and we lost him way too early. Uh, But I talk about uh, Derek and Neil uh, as being the heart and the soul, that team and that defense. And I talk a little bit about those guys and some of the stories about, how uh, you know as an offensive player, we were weren't the we, we weren't the show back then. It was defense. Defense won games yeah. for us. In offense, we just tried to not ruin it and get the ball in the end zone every once in a while. And there were times when I'd go in the back of the bus on the defensive bus, and and I'd be kind of like the the surrogate uh, to go back there and take the, the the brunt of the defensive guys being upset. <laughs> And uh, so I talk a lot about that. But uh, for everybody, I I just think that, you know, it it shows uh, in the book about the relationship between fans and players. Uh, I think it shows uh, a little bit about just how special Kansas City is as a football town and really as a community. Because at the end, I talk a lot about the charitable works that go on here in Kansas City and how lucky I've been to be involved with so many great people uh, here in Kansas City and coach high school football And be involved with First Down for Down Syndrome, be involved with Big Brothers and Big Sisters and be involved with uh, CBD American Shaman, which to me is so important because if if anything, you know, Mike Webster uh, was my mentor and Mike um, obviously had some issues and nobody really particularly knew about it. Uh, But when it was all said and done, you know we had to make an adjustment. I think the NFL has made an adjustment with some of the concussion protocols and things, but also the opioid issues that's been going on in the NFL all over. So uh, one of the reasons why I got involved with that is to try to get guys to be able to take some alternative natural things to help them to deal with some of the pain and injury and anxiety that happens from playing the game of football. So a lot of stories like that. But, BJ, it's it's just so cool to – be able to write some things down and have people remember, it. and maybe just smile a little bit. In this mm-hmm. day and age, we just need some people to smile. We have hurricanes, we have wars, we got all kinds of things going on. Maybe you could buy a book and read something and smile. Hey, listen, it's not a piece of lit- literary, uh, uh, you know, uh, um, the, uh, gem, but it to me, it's 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 about it's about a real person telling a real story about real situations that happened in the nineties.
1: Yeah, I love everything about that. I'm excited to get and read it. And I'm uh, really glad that we had a chance to sit down and talk about this and talk about your book and share some of those stories. We're going to have to do this again. And I would say good luck to your stags tonight. But yeah, <laughs> playing my alma mater, so I'm going to be rooting for Blue Valley. Hopefully get a chance to bring my son, my daughter, and uh, my Real wife. quick story on there.
2: that one. In, in 2006, I became the head coach of Bishop Meage High School. Okay. And I was a head coach there for seven years. And one of my first games was against Coach Rampy. And Zach Rampey, I believe, was the quarterback. And they just destroyed us. I mean, it wasn't even close. Zach was running up and down the field. And after the game, Coach Rampey came up to me and said, hey, listen, you know what? I'm just so happy that you're involved here with with Bishop Meage and trying to get him back and the EKL and stick with it. You know, uh, your message will get across. And, you know, eventually, you know, you'll get this thing turned. And for me, that was a great message because at that point, I think we were like 0 and like 4, 0 and 5. And I was like, man, you know, am I doing things right? And he said, hey, you're doing things right. You got these guys going. And then a couple of years later, we were able to win a state championship. But really, Coach Rampe uh, was was an integral part of making that adjustment to being head coach, and I always thanked him for that. That was a a great uh, way to break a young guy in.
1: Knowing coach Rampey a little bit. There's there are a few people in the world who've known me as long as coach Rampy and his family. Uh, That doesn't surprise me at all. Uh, He is whenever you think high school football coach. I just picture he's the quintessential high school football coach, gym teacher. I can picture him in this day, sitting down, just standing there with his arms like this, just watching all the guy like in between classes. Uh, walking down the hall. I will tell you, um, BJ.
2: I'm glad that the the bike shorts are out now, though. That's <laughs> Yes, <laughs>
1: he had everybody in those. I definitely remember <laughs> yeah, he those. Did. But the, all those high school football. I mean, anybody who's played sports who played high school football, you just there are certain coaches that you just remember, and there was a whole staff from Scott Wright. Uh, who's out there? and You know, is an administrator out of Blue Valley West. Although he's my special teams coach uh, when I was in high school, I stay in touch as much as I can with those guys. But it's great to see that he's still out there doing it. Still stay in touch with Zach a little bit and that whole family. But um, I'll say good luck. Hopefully, it's a good game uh, tonight. Um, but appreciate your time, man. And uh, where can before we let everybody go, where can they where can they find the book? Yeah, yeah from the center, my. My Football Life and the Rebirth of Cheese Kingdom. Where can people find the book?
2: Well, the easiest place is to go to timgrunhart.com And if you order from there, you get an autographed copy. But you can find it at Amazon. You can find it at the Walmart, uh, at Walmart and Target. Uh, they will be in the Henhouses Houses and the high bees, But you can get it at most of the uh, online book sites uh, but uh, if you want to go to timgrunhart.com, it's all one timgrunhart.com. Uh, you'll be able to get it there, and I autograph all of those personally that are sent out. So that's probably the best place to get it. But you can get it just about anywhere that you can find books. So
1: I'd go to timgrunhart.com and get one with an autograph. There you go. Why cool. not? So man, we appreciate it, and uh, yeah, let's do this again soon, man. Thank you, BJ. All right. Thanks, everybody. Uh, Remember, we'll have great content as we get ready for the Chiefs and Bucks on Sunday night. So stay here at KC Sports Network. Don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. Until then, we'll see you next time.
4: Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium?